Balmasoff. You might remember her as Virginia Lee Mathis. And I want them to come up. Uh, this is Ivan's first time to the U.S. So come on. Are you coming up with her? Or she's just, no, you it's going to leave it up to her. But let's give them a very good welcome. Uh, she went over to Russia with her family. Uh, you guys were out of Evangel Temple there in Montgomery, right? And uh, so they came back to the States and then she left afterwards and uh, has been in Russia, Habarov, Moscow, Turkey, Georgia. So, but she is, God has just really had his hand upon her. So we're just so glad that you're here. Share your heart with us. Thank you so much, Pastor Lynn. Just for this opportunity to share with you what God's been doing and what we pray he'll continue to do through us. And I want to say thank you, Tuscaloosa First, for your generous giving, not only to us, but to missionaries all around the world. I know that your prayers and your giving play an important role in advancing God's kingdom to every corner of the earth. So like Pastor Lynn said, I've served as a missionary overseas for about seven years now. And my husband Ivan and I recently just got back to the U.S. a couple of months ago, and we got married March 6, 2022, so about a year and a half ago, and that same week we left Russia. As you may remember, that February the war started between Russia and Ukraine, and so with the risk of Ivan being drafted or being stuck behind closed borders, and then with the risk of me being kicked out as a citizen of an unfriendly government, as has happened with some colleagues that I know, we just decided not to risk being separated. So we left, but we have been in the Republic of Georgia for the last year and a half. Um, we've been serving with the Live Dead Russia team there because a lot of our team relocated when the war started because hundreds of thousands of Russians were fleeing to Georgia at that time. And it just seemed like a God-ordained opportunity. And God did use that time in Georgia to bring about more fruit than we really even thought possible. Um, so like I said, we've been here in the U.S. for a couple of months now, and our plan is to get Ivan's paperwork done so that we can travel more freely to and from the U.S. That could take who knows how long, maybe a year or two. Um, and then we plan to go back overseas just as God will lead. But while we're here, we plan to continue doing what we've been doing in Russia and in Georgia, and that's just making disciples that multiply more disciples. Uh, I want to share a little bit of my journey of discipleship with you here this morning. Uh, you might remember some of my story, but I grew up in the Assemblies of God. I was saved as a kid, really active in my local church at Evangel, like you said. And I went on my first missions trip when I was six years old, and I felt called to long-term missions from an early age. And then my parents served overseas all of my teen years. Then I went to ministry school, got a degree in missions, uh, worked at a church for a couple of years. Anyways, all those little check marks. And uh, I shared my faith as a kid and just always, whenever I saw an opportunity, I tried to be obedient to the Great Commission as best as I knew how. So then when I finally went overseas myself as a missionary, I started serving among the unreached, among those who don't even have access to the gospel message within their people group. And I quickly realized that everything that I knew about church wasn't really gonna work in this context. Um, so I was forced to relearn what Jesus meant when he said, make disciples of all nations. And with so few believers among these unreached people groups and with this massive task of the unfulfilled Great Commission, I was forced to think about multiplicative discipleship. 
So how can we multiply disciples? And I actually discovered that the key was simplicity. So it's not inviting people to church and adding converts one by one. It's not a curriculum or a program that a new convert has to complete. It's just shifted my focus to every believer believing that they are empowered to make more disciples and being trained to do so. So we make disciples, not because I'm a missionary or have some special title, uh, but just because we are disciples of Jesus. And if I've learned anything over these past few years, it's that obeying Jesus and making disciples doesn't depend on our location. It doesn't depend on our circumstances. And we believe that during our time here in the United States, God is going to lead us to hearts that are hungry, that are ready to follow Jesus, that are ready to lead their friends and family to follow Jesus. And just in our short time here, we're already seeing lots of opportunities to share Jesus and make disciples. We have a few people that we're already discipling to disciple others. And we're believing right here in Alabama, right here in the United States, we're believing for disciples that are going to multiply more disciples that are going to multiply more disciples. And so I'll tell you one story. Long, not long after we arrived from Russia to Georgia, uh, we met Alina. So she's this young girl who had also just arrived from Russia to Georgia with her husband. Uh, we struck up a conversation at a mall. We quickly learned that she's a staunch atheist. So we tried to share with her, you know, the hope and strength that we find in these difficult times of transition and war, but she's not really having any of it. Um, then we met with her again and shared the gospel with her again. She made it clear, not interested. Like, okay. So it was a couple of months later, I just went on on a limb and I was like, Hey, I texted her, you want to read the Bible together? And to my great surprise, she agreed. So then about a month after studying the Bible together every week, Alina invited her friend Sveta to join us, even though Alina didn't believe in God at this point, but she's studying the Bible every week. So then Sveta joins us. Then about a month after that, Alina accepted Jesus and she was baptized not long after that. So basically from day one, even before Alina believed in Jesus, she's been sharing Jesus with her friends and family. And she's continuing to disciple her friend Sveta, who recently, just after we left Georgia a couple of months ago, decided to accept Jesus. And so from day one, we've encouraged Alina from the word of God that she's empowered to make more disciples. And we believe that God is gonna continue to give her more disciples. She's already going out and she's sharing with everybody that she can find. And we believe that God's gonna give her disciples and that he's gonna give Sveta disciples and that he's gonna give their disciples disciples and that we're gonna see exponential multiplication that we can't even keep track of. Can you imagine if every believer in this room believed that you can make disciples? You can share your faith help your friends read and obey the word of God. You don't need a ministry degree. You don't even need a membership class to be able to go and make disciples. And then imagine that your disciples believe the same thing. I truly believe that the Holy Spirit has empowered every believer to make disciples that will make disciples. Whether you just met Jesus today or you've been following him for 50 years, maybe that's something that God is stirring in your heart. Maybe you wanna make disciples, but maybe you don't even know how that would look or where to start. That was me for the longest time. I tried, I wanted to be a multiplier of disciples, but I really just didn't know how. So in no way am I pretending now to be a discipleship expert. Um, I guess on the contrary, I've shifted my focus to just try to learn how to be a disciple of Jesus. 
But my heart's desire is to see as many people as possible come to know the love of Jesus. So if my story resonates with you, maybe God's been burdening your heart towards multiplying disciples. I'd love to connect with you personally. While we're here in the States, we just wanna come alongside anybody who wants to make disciples right where you are and just share our experience and the tools that have helped us. So please connect with us today if that's something that God is stirring your heart towards We'd love to talk more with you. So thank you again, Pastor Lynn, just for allowing us to come and share with you. God bless y'all. Isn't it easy to like her? And she's been that way from from a teenager uh, in Russia with her family. But uh, thank you for sharing Today is going to be a little bit of a different day because we have a mystery speaker today. I'm not going to be preaching. As you was talking about preaching, I was like, well, don't say anything because this is probably one of the best kept secrets that I've ever been responsible for. And uh, hardly anyone in this building know who our next speaker is. Um, If the speaker can hear me in my office, you need to come on out and I'll introduce you. Can you hear me? Yes. Is it coming through? No. How does this thing work? It's on mute. Let me take it off of mute. Can you hear me now? Is it coming through? Is it reading? Is it on? I don't know. I don't know how to work this thing. Hold on. All right, it's about to come on. It's a a team effort up here. Are we there? (laughs) All right. You okay over there, Kara? <laughs> Did you know? Okay. I don't know if you want to grab the two kids out of pajama celebration <laughs> if they want to see their, hear their daddy preach. But um, I'm so glad that we talked about this and it was... It's hard it, to keep. It's hard. She, she knows everything. And I'm going to have trouble when I get home. Brenda is not feeling well. And I didn't tell her, so I'm going to have to pay some, some repentance on that. So It happens. But it's good to have him. Welcome him again. Brother Paul. We changed up. Uh, we don't have music stands, do we? Here. Man, we got all modern since I left here. Good morning. It is good to be back. I, I am uh, surprised that this didn't get out somehow because there have been times in the past when I've tried to hide something from my wife and God gives her a dream and it's just hard to uh, keep things from her. Um, Thank you, Pastor Lynn. Where'd you go to? There you are. I can't see up here. So, Uh, and Kara, look, this one's more solid than mine. I can pound on this thing all morning and it's not going to break. Um, it is, uh, it was, I miss you all. I miss you all greatly. But uh, more than that, I miss my family. And uh, what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to see her smile. So uh, I had the opportunity, my, my church, uh, we have a different winter schedule. And the church uh, gave me the day off. I've got a couple days off. And, and uh, so as soon as I found out that I had a day off, I called Pastor Lynn and I said, this may be forward, but... 
do you think I could? And he's like, yeah. So um, anyway, some of you don't recognize me. Um, I, I was here. This is my church home. And about uh, a year and eight months ago, God was doing something. I was a miserable man a year and eight months ago. And some of you didn't know that. Some of you may have known that. But a year and eight months ago, God was doing something on my insides that um, I went back and was reading through my journals, and, and I, I could just tell that God was really doing something on my insides. And, and um, I finally came to the place where I was like, what do you want to do, God? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Where? I, just, I just want to be where you want me to be. And uh, I received a phone call. I knew one Korean man, that's all. Didn't know anything about Korean culture. I didn't know, I knew a, a few black people, a whole lot of white people, and one Korean man. And I got a phone call from a Korean man, and he said, hey, uh, I know that you've been ordained and everything. He said, we're looking for an English pastor. Would you be interested? And I said, hey, I'll pray about it, you know. Hey, I'll pray about it. But I'm not really going to plan on that being what God wants me to do. And I did pray about it. And I felt like the Lord said, you might not want to just pass that by, Paul. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding. Because in my mind, some little Assembly of God church within 25, 30 miles is going to open up, and I was just going to go fill in for them and do that sort of thing. But uh, God said, no, I'm going to send you to a group of people that you don't even know how to talk to. Uh, you don't understand their culture, uh, any of that. So uh, I went over there trembling, and they have put up with me for a year and eight months, or a year and six months at this point. So... Virginia, where did she go to? There she is. Hey, you don't know me. I took your card whenever you were here a few, uh, couple years back and uh, put your card on a uh, file cabinet at my office and I prayed for you often. So it's good to see you this morning. All right, this morning I want to uh, read four scriptures to you. I want to give you three points and then we're going to just let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. And um, I hope that whenever we walk away from this place today that we're challenged a little bit. This morning I want to talk to you about the subject, are we hungry yet? And some of you look at me and say, my gosh, he's gained 20 pounds since he's been gone. And he comes back and he's talking to us about food already. Well, but I, don't, I don't want to talk to you about food. Um, now I will tell you this, as a pastor, whenever you get together, people want to eat. So that's where these 20 pounds have come from. But are we hungry yet? How many times have you heard on a movie or maybe in your child's life as they play kids' sports or some other scenario where the coach has gotten down into the face of the team and they say, come on, guys, how bad do you want it? Are you hungry enough for it? Are you hungry yet? You know, with my oldest son sitting up in that sound booth, and by the way, Kara, he, he, he got me yesterday in the deer stand. He, he knew that this was coming up. But, um, you know, with that little guy sitting up there in the, in the uh, uh, sound booth, I don't know how many teams he has been on that I have helped coach or helped do something, and we get down to the championship game, and the kids are all talking about how the, the people on the other team look like monsters. They look like they're four years older than them, and there's no way that they can beat them. 
And the coach or myself or the parent, someone will look at the kids and say, it just depends on who's more hungry. Who's more hungry for the win? Whenever you ask a child or you ask someone, are you hungry yet? Are you hungry enough for it? It causes them to reach deep inside of themselves and find something down deep. Down deep inside of them. And this morning, I want to come to you this morning, and I want to look at you right in the eyes, and I want to ask you, how hungry are you, church? How hungry are you? Not, not for a blessing, not for a victory, not for anything like that, but how hungry for God are you? How hungry are you? You know, we talk a lot about being hungry. We sing about being hungry. We read books about being hungry for God. We go to conferences about being hungry for God. We, we do so many things, but do our lives show that we're hungry for him? You know, being a, a father, whenever my children are hungry, I know when they're hungry. I'll pick little Hadley up at school on an afternoon and she's played all day after she's been at school and I will have a snack in the car that's mine, right? <laughs> Daddy, I like Kit Kats. Daddy, I like tea. Have you got tea in that drink there, Daddy? Whenever a person's hungry, you don't have to wonder if they're hungry because they go to the food source. They, they get close to where things are being fed from. And, you know, I, I just wonder. We can watch hungry people, but whenever we sing about being hungry or whenever we uh, 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 talk about being hungry, are, are we singing lies? Are we trying to psych ourselves out and tell ourselves that we're really hungry? Are we trying to convince God? Are we trying to convince ourselves? Who are we trying to convince? Or are we really hungry? Are we really hungry? When was the last time, like Hannah of the Old Testament, that you were inconsolable because you wanted God to move in your life in a particular way? Or when was the last time that, like David, he danced like, it didn't matter. Even though Michael sat up in the palace window and looked and she made fun of him. You've got a lot of Michaels in this life that would like to make fun. They would like to ridicule. But when was the last time that we gave everything to God because it didn't matter? When was the last time that you were willing to let go of everything that you had staked your image to just to be in the timing of God? When was the last time that you said, God, I don't care what you're up to. I don't care how you're going to do it. I just want to be where you are. I just want to be in the middle of what you're doing, God. It doesn't matter if the way that you move fits my lifestyle or my style. It doesn't matter if it fits my desired way for things to work out. It doesn't matter if it matches up with how I thought that it would work out. I just have to be close to you. 
And this morning, I want to talk to you from Philippians chapter 3. I want to look at Paul. We're going to jump into this passage where the Apostle Paul, he talks about his own hunger for God. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. It says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I love verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Every one of you sitting in here this morning and every one of you watching in line, there is something inside of your heart that gnaws at you. Every person um, this morning has this insatiable yearning to be fulfilled, to be touched. And it goes beyond just the need for physical touch. It goes beyond just the need of satisfaction for physical needs. It's a hunger for something deeper. It's, it's something much more profound than what we can put words to. We know it as the hunger for God. We want to know and we want to experience his presence. And here we have Paul. He's well-versed in the Jewish law and the Jewish tradition. He knew all about what was going on here. Remember, he was a Jew among Jews. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel. He wasn't one of these Hebrews. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He wasn't a Hebrew that accepted all the Jewish culture. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He didn't take on that Hellenistic type thing that all these other people that weren't as committed as him had done. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was an a, a, a Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He says that he was zealous for God. He was thinking that he had been doing the right thing in persecuting the church. And he says, as far as righteousness goes, based upon the law, I'm faultless. But Paul knew that there was a cost to hunger. There's a cost to hunger. In verses 7 and 8 here, we see that Paul is at this point in his life. He's between 20 and 30 years in his missionary. Um, he, he's 20 to 30 years in his experience of being a missionary. He's got all this experience under his belt, and suddenly sitting in this Roman prison cell, the apostle Paul, he, he he's comes to this crossroads in his life. He reevaluates the ledger of his life know what a ledger is, right? I don't think that they still teach those things in school, but, you know, we had a ledger whenever I was growing up. Never understood how to work it, did I, Kara? But anyway, uh, we had ledgers, and the Apostle Paul, he, he sees this ledger. He, he, he takes all of his work. 
He scrutinizes all of the entries that he has spent his life on. He tallies everything that he has done. He looks at every little past accomplishment that he's done. He looks at all of the medals that he has won. He looks at all of the credentials on the wall and the certificates of achievement and the, the, the frame things that he has. And he gives consideration to everything. He considers his impeccable moral standing. And his final verdict, he comes down and he says, all of these things that I had previously tried to use to my advantage to reach God, all of the things that I have done and used in my life to try to impress God, all of those things are nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. You see, true hunger for God demands the surrender of lesser pursuits. What is it that you're hanging on to that you need to let go of that doesn't matter? It doesn't, go ahead and switch that. What is it that you're hanging on to that is a lesser pursuit that takes your attention away from the hunger of God? And then the second thing I want to point out to you this morning is that, yes, there's a cost for hungry, but there's also a pursuit of intimacy. What do you think of whenever you think, hear the word intimacy? Most of our minds go to a husband and wife relationship. That dark-headed, beautiful woman sitting over here that's taken my name and has used my name for the last 23 years. She and I know things about each other in a way that you don't know. I know things that you don't know about her. You know her as a church family, as a budgeting queen. You know that she is good with numbers. I know the numbers in the bank. You know that she loves to bake. She loves to do things like that. I know the recipes. There's lots of things that I know about her. You look at her and she's wearing this Merry Christmas shirt, but I know that tonight she's going to go home and watch a serial killer movie. <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? I do. You understand what I'm saying? I know things about her because we are closer than just acquaintances. I know her better than anyone on earth knows her. She's had my name. She shared my name for 23 years and I have been actively in her life for 28 years pursuing her and I'm still pursuing her and I'm still learning about her every day. And even though I have this master's level, doctorate level knowledge of Kara Burdine, there are still things that I'm learning about her on a daily basis. I learn what the inflection of her tone means. I learn when a smile isn't really a smile. 
And because she and I are intimate, we know things about one another that the average person wouldn't know. And here's what I want to say to you is that you and I are in a place where it is capable, you are capable of knowing Jesus intimately. It is totally possible to know Jesus beyond mere knowledge. It's totally possible to know him more. Knowing Jesus isn't just like knowing a biographical uh, uh, understanding of him. Knowing Jesus isn't just a, a doctrinal checklist. Knowing Jesus isn't uh, using him only as a moral compass. Knowing Jesus isn't more, or it's more than just knowing about a distant Savior's heroic tale. Knowing Jesus is is not just a fleeting recognition. It's not a transactional acquaintance. Knowing Jesus is not a casual conversation. It's not temporary. It's not like going to a family gathering temporarily. Knowing Jesus is a lifelong commitment. It's a deep-rooted intimacy. When we know Jesus, it's a shared journey. It's living in his presence. It's breathing in his air. It's sharing in his heart. It's becoming one in spirit with Jesus. It's becoming one in purpose with him. It's a profound relationship. It's a transforming experience. It's an unbreakable bond. It's the marriage of hearts. It's the merging of souls. It's the ultimate union. Hunger for God is a relentless pursuit of intimate relationship, not just mere religious knowledge. And then point number three, whenever I read through these four verses, there were three things that jumped out to me, and that's what I'm bringing to you. The third thing that I saw jump out to me was Embracing suffering for glory. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Paul. I was with you about following Jesus, but I don't like the suffering part. I don't like this suffering stuff that you're talking about. I like the power, but I don't like the suffering. Don't you know that Christians shouldn't have to suffer? Well, Jesus did that. He did that on the cross, right? He took all suffering from us. Well, then why does Paul come along and say, I want to know him and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings? Doesn't our flesh always rebel against suffering? We always try to avoid suffering. The disciples They were talking with Jesus and they found it very difficult whenever Jesus began talking about how he was going to be beaten and crucified. And Peter, he says, Lord, be it far from me. And Jesus turns around and looks at him and he says, get away from me, Satan. You offend me. We always... It's the natural cry of man to try to avoid suffering. And what I want to tell you this morning is that we need to have a theology 
that makes room for suffering. We need to have a theology that makes room for suffering because God uses suffering to refine us. God uses suffering to draw us closer to his image. Yes, Paul writes in Romans 8, 28 that all things work together for the good, right? That includes suffering. Even suffering. We should view suffering as a training ground for holiness. And submitting to God during suffering, it brings a lot of benefits to us, including we learn from our mistakes, we distinguish ourselves from the world, we become like Christ. And we should be, in, we should be encouraged by the examples of those that went before us that had to endure suffering. We should be encouraged by the other saints that patiently endured to the end during suffering. All 12 of the disciples. I, I, I brought my journal that I wrote this down in. Um, it was probably, well, it was during that time, a year and eight months ago. I was at the Royal Ranger camp here in Alabama for a week in 100 degree weather. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible, but the Lord was talking to me the whole week. And I started looking, and here's the example of the 12 disciples, how their end came about. Matthew was beheaded with a sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being drugged through the streets. Luke was hung on an olive tree. John died naturally, but only after they tried boiling him. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the lesser was thrown over the edge, then beaten with clubs. Philip was hung publicly. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten to death. Andrew was crucified and preached at the top of his voice to his persecutors, then he died. Thomas was run through with a spear. Jude was killed with the arrows of an executioner. Matthias and, or, or, uh, Matthias and Barnabas were stoned to death, then beheaded. And Paul, we know what happened to Paul. He was in and out of prison and eventually beheaded in Rome. So Paul talks about here, I want to know him. I want to know him so much. I want to know everything about him. I want to know everything that's included with coming and knowing him, including the suffering, including the suffering. I want to know him completely. Yes, I want to know the power of the resurrection. But you can never know the power of the resurrection until you at first experience the cross. Jesus wasn't resurrected until he first went to the cross. The resurrected life always follows the crucified life. It always does. And the power of resurrection follows the fellowship of suffering. Many people have never experienced the 
power of the resurrected life because many have shied away from the fellowship of suffering. Like I said, we try to run from suffering. We say things like, I want to hang on. There's things I want to hang on to. I want to hang on to the flesh. I don't want to see it nailed to the cross. I want to hold on to the things of the flesh. But here's my point. You will never know the life of the resurrected Christ until you've experienced the fellowship of the sufferings. So in our hunger, we embrace suffering as a pathway for glory. Now I'm going to respectfully ask that there won't be any music as we close out here. I'm going to respectfully ask that um, I don't want you to be motivated by music. I don't want you to be motivated by people uh, singing. I don't want any of that. I just want it you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to respond if you feel the Lord calling. But I want to ask you this morning, friends, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry for him? Some of you say, no, I'm hungry for tacos. But are you hungry for Jesus? I don't care about everything else. Are you hungry for Jesus? Are you willing to count all your worldly gains as loss just for knowing Jesus? Just for knowing Jesus. Are you willing to surrender the old life and embrace the power of the cross? Are you afraid of suffering? It's a natural, necessary part of this journey. Did you know that our heritage is suffering? Our heritage is suffering. Are you hungry enough this morning that you're willing to trade your comfort and your security and the things that you stake your image to for him. It's awful quiet in this Pentecostal church this morning. Or are you, are you satisfied this morning with a shallow faith? Are you happy with that? Is that what you want? Or do you want Jesus? Regardless of what comes with it. Are you hungry for him? Heavenly Father, I ask right now that you would move upon hearts. Lord, we are a people that are hungry. I believe we are, God. We need you in the most profound way. And we know that we need you, but Lord, we desire. We desire you in the most profound way this morning. Lord, I pray that you would move upon hearts now and that you would etch into our minds what you are wanting for us, Lord. Help us to be confronted with the idea if, if we're truly hungry or not. And Lord, if we are, help our actions, help our lifestyle, help everything about us to show to the world what a hungry man and a hungry woman for God looks like. Lord, I just ask right now that you would move upon people's hearts 
that you would do a work in their lives this morning. In Jesus' name. Pastor Lynn. He kind of kind of gives us am I on okay you know it kind of gives us an opportunity to get ready for the end there you know not used to that <laughs> is this not working no, no. Well, it says it's on here let me see all right um this has got one bar on it. How about that? Um, yeah, that makes Yeah. We'll use it until we get to... Well, it hasn't been a typical service anyway, right? We just go with the flow. Is that one? That's one. Okay. So far, so good. We're hitting... The... Okay, here we go. Uh, you know... Uh, Lauren came up and shared something. We were just in Sunday school about being obedient to the Holy Spirit and knowing the timing. And, and uh, God has spoken something to her, and I felt uh, the first time I said, let's wait. Let's just wait and see what the Lord's going to do. And, of course, this has been an, an untypical service. Um, Paul and I are brothers from just different mothers. <laughs> You should have had a gray yeah. vest on. Talk to the one that dresses me. <laughs> it's, it's, we, we sometimes dress this in the same, it's, it's really eerie. It's creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. But I really feel like God is calling, especially after Virginia shared about getting busy, yeah. about being a disciple yeah. and influencing other people. Would you stand with me? Um, as we just, I want us to surrender ourselves. Lauren, come over and just share what God spoke to you early in the service. But I want us all to get ready to say, I'm in, Lord. I think it's one of the most profound verses that to know him and the power of his resurrection and the communion, the fellowship of his suffering, and that the sufferings of Jesus has been left open for us to participate in his suffering. Isn't it so cool when the Lord speaks and it goes right along with the sermon? It's almost like we all hear the same Lord. Um, Yeah, so as I was worshiping, uh, the Lord just brought to my mind the story of Lazarus and his resurrection. Uh, And specifically the fact that Jesus wept. (laughs) And so I want to read this passage to y'all real quickly. When Mary, the the sister of Lazarus, reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. Guys, this is so powerful for us because it it shows us again and again that God is not a distant God. Jesus came and suffered as a suffering servant, like, like Paul was saying, on, on the cross and crucified, but also in the fact that he was hungry and he was tired and he was rejected by his friends and, and he had people hate him to the point of crucifying. Jesus is one who suffers with us. 
And uh, I know uh, there's a lot of people in our church that are going through suffering trials right now. Uh, and I feel like the Lord is really wanting to challenge us. Do we allow him to weep with us? Do we allow him to mourn with us? Um, because again, like Paul was saying, so often our reaction to trials is, is just wanting to get through it, not really process it. Um, you know, you just gotta keep on keeping on. And I feel like the Lord is really challenging us. Will we allow ourselves to be broken at his feet and allow him to enter into that morning with us? Because he's not a distant God. He's a near God that the one time in scripture it says that Jesus wept was because he saw Mary's grief. It was at seeing his friend's grief that he wept. And so scripture says that we are no longer servants, but we are friends to Christ. And so he wants to weep with us. He wants to mourn with us. And it's in allowing him to enter into that brokenness that he really transforms us. It's in allowing him to enter into that brokenness that he leads us to deeper dependency and intimacy with him. Because nothing draws you closer to someone than going through the hard times with them. And so how much more with our heavenly father who came and suffered as a man so that he could resonate with our pain. If we allow him to enter into that, how much closer will it draw us to him? Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We need to hear again and again this truth that you have called us to walk with you in victory, but also in the battles and in the suffering, in the trials and the, and the strain of life. You know what we go through. You know what people in this room have went through this week. Maybe they're at a place of, of disruption in their own life, in their own faith. But we surrender that to you. If this is part of our suffering, this is part of us stepping into what you have went through so that we can have true communion with you. Help us, Lord, to embrace the battles. We will also cherish the victories more. Because you will bring us through the battles and you'll bring us through the valleys. You will walk with us through those valleys to bring us to waters and to green pastures and a place of peace. For those in this room that's going through a lot of trials, Lord, we pray for healing and for renewing of their faith and to embrace the battle right now because the victory is going to be even sweeter when we embrace what the battle is. And Lord, we collectively surrender ourselves to you. I thank you for what Paul shared this morning. Lord, may we hide it in our hearts and go back to this passage and read it and soak in it so that we become more like you and less about us. Yes. We need that. We need that kind of transformation. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Um, we're going to go to E, but to, even without instruments, I think we ought to sing this. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. 
bless you please join us in the fellowship hall for a time of meal we don't please don't go get you something somewhere else 